The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are continuing in our series in 1 Peter. Uh, today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, the title of today's message is A Christian Manifesto. Now I know that word's not commonly used, um, but I feel it kind of fits what's going on here in 1 Peter. Um, uh, manifesto is just a, a public declaration of policies or, or goals and aims and desires. Uh, some, some famous common uh, uh, manifestos that we see in our country's history uh, would be the Declaration of Independence and also I, the, I Will Have a Dream, or I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. Uh, these are, were, were both very public declarations of uh, what these people believe and uh, their aspirations, uh, and they help form the country uh, that we live here today. Uh, as we look at the passage in First Peter, we see answers to questions like, what does it mean to be a Christian to a people in a community we live in? And how are we portraying what a Christian looks like to our neighbors? As Peter uh, answers these questions, uh, we kind of see a, a Christian manifesto develop. Now, the manifesto goes beyond just a written document or a speech, but it's to be lived out in our lives. Our public actions are a declaration of who we are and what our goals are. And what these goals are are not from us, but they are what God's goals are for us. Or as we look at in this passage, uh, we're going to call that God's will. So I'm going to read the text for us today and then pray, and we'll see what God has here for us today. So 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. <clears throat> for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, um, for your word here. Thank you, Lord. Um, they gave Peter this letter, um, not only to the people in his time, Lord, but to us as well. And I just pray that we will be able to apply things that we see here um, to our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big idea we're going to see here in the passage 
is that God's will for us is to put sin to death and give life to love. And we're going to flesh that out in, uh, in three points. Uh, first, we're going to see how can we do the will of God. And then we're going to see um, how we do that in our relationships with believers and unbelievers. Now, doing God's will is not an easy task. But Peter is going to give us some helpful ways to help us in our goal of, uh, of striving to be more like God. So the first point we're going to see is how can we do the will of God? Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear a statement like that, uh, doing the will of God or, or putting sin to death, my brain has a hard time wrapping, wrapping itself around that. These are such grandiose goals, and it kind of turns into an ad, abstract concept. How does one put their sin to death, their sin nature to death? What does it mean to do God's will? These uh, statements sound simple, but if you really start to think about them, they're really quite complex. I desire today is that looking at this passage, you'll pick up on a few practical tools that maybe help you on your journey to do God's will. So let's see what Peter, inspired by God, has to say that can help us on our journey. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 6 for us one more time, and then we'll, we'll look at them. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. So we start, start out by seeing Peter drawing us back into the suffering of Christ. In Peter's eyes and in God's eyes, the suffering that led to Jesus being crucified was just as important as the suffering that he experienced on the cross. The utter rejection by the people that were supposed to be his people and his response to them gives evidence that truly he was the Son of God. It also gives us evidence, also gives us an example of how to live. Uh, Peter laid this out earlier in, chapters, uh, in chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. I'm just going to read that for us. And as I do, you're going to see kind of how it maps on to the passage that we read today. It says, For to, the, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So in light of uh, Jesus' suffering, we are encouraged to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. 
Well, that kind of sounds like an abstract statement, so I'm going to kind of break that down. Uh, the word arm here is a military uh, term, meaning to prepare yourself for battle. The phrase, the same way thinking, means with the same intention. Therefore, God is calling us to prepare ourselves with intention to suffer as Christ suffered, to be reviled and rejected by those around us. That is what our intent should be. Now, it's not saying, or sorry, is he saying this? Probably not, but is he saying that uh, in the morning we should wake up and say, hey, you know what, I can't wait for, uh, to go to work and have my boss put me down for my faith. Or, hmm, I wonder, who can I share Jesus with that will make fun of me? That, that's not really what the passage is driving at. Uh, the list here we see in verse 3 are all social norms of the time, as well as basic human desires. What he's saying is we need to prepare ourselves to resist our human passions and desires and to follow the norms of the society that oppose God's word. When we do this, we're going to suffer the same persecution as Christ did. If we're willing to do this, no matter what the cost, then we'll be able to follow the will of God and not our human passions. We will be dead to sin and alive to Christ. It's just that simple, except as sinful humans like me, uh, it's really not that simple. When you have a heart that is prone to do something, and a lot of other people are doing it, it's a hard thing to resist. Now, you may look at this list, at some of the things, and think, well, that's not me, or people really don't do that nowadays. That may or may not be true, but think about social norms that are going on today that go against God's word. For example, a, week, or a couple weeks ago, we looked at the passage that said, honor the emperor. Now today, it's, it's quite normal to be disrespectful to people in leadership. For example, my wife was uh, hanging out on Elm Street at a restaurant uh, outside, and uh, there, a truck started going back and forth as she was eating with a flag out the back um, saying something not very nice to a person in leadership. I'm sure you've probably seen the, the flags around. But this is not honoring the, the, um, the emperor or the, the leader. Um, and this has become very common in our society. Another example is social media. Um, it's common for people to put other people down for what they believe. And this is not showing God's love uh, to our neighbors. Now, the list goes on and on. I mean, I could continue uh, quite a while if I wanted of social norms. Uh, the point is, if you don't go along with these social norms, eventually you'll be re reviled, rejected, just as Christ was. And one caution when it comes to this is how to respond to this persecution that you may receive, or how you let a, know, how you let a person know, you know, I'm just not going to do that. Peter, uh, our Peter, not Bible Peter, uh, Peter spoke on this last week. And uh, it's very complicated, so uh, too many Peters. Um, he spoke last week, and the key is doing it in gentleness and respect. When you respond to these people, it's important to do it out of, out of care and love and not out of pride, not to put them down. If you make a big deal that you're that you're not going to do something or be judgmental about that person that's doing something, 
and you're slandered for it, well, to be honest with you, you kind of deserve it. We saw that earlier in, in First Peter. If you do respectively, Peter gives us encouragement here in verse 5 that these people will give an account for what they said. There will be justice. So you may feel like the words and the wounds that you receive go unseen, but God is fully aware of what's going on, and he will do all justice. Uh, before moving on to point two, I want to comment on verse six. Um, this verse gets a little murky uh, on what's going on here, but I want to skip it all together. Um, there are several positions the scholars hold on what this verse means. Um, how after reading them, I can't say I really lean one way or another. But I do want to put a few thoughts out there. Uh, well, let me read that verse. Well, it's right behind me, so you can read it. Um, first of all, when I look at the phrases in this verse, it really ties into um, the passage that Peter spoke on last week. Um, in verses 3, 18, and 19, a lot of terms are, are being used there. So I'll, I'll read that real quick. Um, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So I definitely feel like that ties into that. But to Peter's point, what's going on there is kind of up for debate. And I think we can move on uh, from this um, with kind of holding that out there is we don't really know. Uh, what we do know is it, it, it ties into verse 5, uh, which is an encouragement to these people that are, are receiving persecution and you know, promise that they're going to be judged. So we know that it ties into that. Other than that, we're just going to leave that go. Feel free to discuss that in your groups <laughs> on Tuesday or Thursday nights. Um, we're just going to let that go for now. Um, so we've seen how God can be empowered, or how we can be empowered to do God's will. Now let's see how we can live that out in our lives before believers and unbelievers. So point two is living the will of God before unbelievers. Um, now for you note-takers, you probably noticed uh, that the, the verses here are the same verses that we just had in point one. Don't worry, this is not a typo. What I want to focus on briefly is uh, what this means to missions. Missions has been one of the focuses here on our church this year. And at, while I was meditating on this passage, uh, some questions uh, came up for me. As, as we think about mission here in Manchester, what is God calling us to do? What is his will for our lives? How do we respond to being maligned or reviled by unbelievers? And that last question is what we're going to structure this point um, under, is how, how do we respond to this um, being rejected by other people? So I see kind of three basic responses that we can give. The first one, you can avoid hanging around with unbelievers. Uh, doing this will minimize the situations where you can be reviled in your life. Now, sometimes I can fall into this trap as well. Um, it's easier you know, around people that you know, believe other things that you don't. The problem with this response is avoidance is not having a willingness to suffer as Christ suffered. 
Christ did not live his ministry in private. He didn't just hang out with the disciples and uh, the people in the synagogues, but he was out in the community spending time with sinners and unbelievers. Looking back at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we see what effect this can have on unbelievers when we don't do the list in verse 3 that we saw. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If we're not living out our lives in the midst of unbelievers, they won't have the opportunity to see the difference in our lives. Therefore, you miss out on having those conversations that can lead to sharing the hope that God has given you. The second uh, way we could respond is just to avoid persecution is by giving in and doing what other people are doing when we're around them. Now, this, this passage is very clear that this is not the right option. If we were to live the will of God and not the will of man. However, it can be easy to give in to peer pressure and just the pressure to fit in with other people. But sometimes this can be unintentional too. We can lose sight of the truth and start doing um, things without realizing what we're doing. And sometimes these may be not technically sin, um, but how it affects other people makes it that way. It crosses that line. Uh, for example, I used to be a very uh, sarcastic person. Um, I always looked for a way to uh, crack a joke uh, about something. However, over time, God has convicted me that my speech wasn't being encouraging or building up to people or building people up. So I've been working on trying to taper that down. Now there is a place for that, and I'm not saying this, that is inherently wrong. It's just something that can be detrimental to someone else if done in excess or at the wrong time. And if you're doing it all the time, you're bound to do it at the wrong time. So, so how do you guard yourself from this? I feel the armor of God that we see in Ephesians 6 can be helpful to, to guide us through this. I'm going to read that for us. You don't have to turn there. Um, but just listen, and I encourage you to, to read through this on your own time um, later today. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And there's a lot of helpful things in that passage, uh, but I just want to highlight two things, and they're the belt of truth 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. If we regularly are reading God's Word, He will speak truth to us and convict us when we're going astray. Also, if we're close in community with other believers, um, they too can speak truth into our lives if we're sharing with them. So the final response we're going to see um, in, in the face of persecution is living among unbelievers, but avoiding the cultural norms that go against God's word. Obviously, this is the response that the passage is guiding us toward, and I feel the scripture does as well. If we are called to be ready to suffer like Christ, and when we don't do the cultural norms of the time we suffer, then we must, then we have to be with unbelievers for us to be able to do this. We can't just do it in a box or in a closet. In the book of John, we see Jesus' desire and his will for us as he prays to his Father. I'm going to read that for us. It's in John chapter 17. It says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm going to focus here on verse, starting on verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus doesn't want us to be taken out of the world. He's sending us into the world. And notice in the verse where it talks about being sent, it's uh, sandwiched between two phrases that say sanctified in truth. Sanctified means being set apart for a holy purpose. Therefore, reading God's word and his truth is imperative for us to be able to live in the world we are sent into without giving in to our human desires. All right, that leads us to our, our last point here, and that's living the will of God before believers. That's, we're going to see that in verses 7 through 11. Uh, and they say, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here we see Peter transition into talking uh, about how we relate to each other as believers. He starts out by saying, the end of all things is at hand. And everything he says after this is going to be in light of that statement, that the end is coming. Now, when you think and hear about the, and you hear the phrase, uh, the end is near, uh, you know, what do you think about? I think of countless movies where we see this thought uh, explored. Uh, you have movies like Independence Day and Armageddon. I know they're older movies, I'm sorry. Um, but these movies depict people that they see the, um, the world is ending, and some of them 
believe that you know there's going to be no consequences. Like, what's the point? The world's ending. I'm just going to do what I want. And you see them doing things like we read in verse three here. But Peter's uh, end of the world game plan looks much different than theirs. And as we look at it, there's nothing earth-shattering about the plan. There's no hyper-Christianized evangelistic campaign. It's just three simple steps. The first step is to remain calm. We need to be in control of our actions and keep a level head and pray accordingly. accordingly. This can be hard to do sometimes as we look around us at all the chaos and the pain and suffering and the injustice that's going on around us. But we can say like Peter that the end of all things is at hand. It's just as true as it was back, th- as back then as it is now. Jesus could come back tomorrow. We just don't know. But we're encouraged here that in the chaos of this world, not to get caught up in everything. The Bible tells us the world is going to be this way in the end. So we shouldn't be surprised. We need to remain calm and pray. We need to make petitions to God that is in control of this world and who will come and make things right. Now, step two in the plan brings us once again back to love. Now, Jacob said a couple weeks ago that the epistles really just boil down to uh, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. This passage here in Peter um, is evidence of that. It says, above all, with the world ending, uh, soon, we are to love one another earnestly. Now, earnestly means eagerly or with real interest. So not because just God tells us to, but because we want to. We should be looking at ways we can lavish the love of Christ on each other. This step is the most important one. If we fail step one, but we love one another, uh, we're going to be all right. Why, why do we do this? Because love covers the multiple multitude of sins, as it says here. Now, this is a very popular verse, uh, and it's pretty self-explanatory what it says. Uh, so I'm not really going to speak to that much. But I just want to make one point, and that's that love and forgiveness are the foundation that gives our church unity. If we're not able to forgive each other for the multitudes of errors that we make, um, yours truly, then our church is going, to, is going to fall apart. I want to just make a comment here. As we were talking at the leadership retreat uh, this week, um, we were discussing just where the church has been in the last couple of years, um, reflected on how things went through the pandemic, and we were just reminded of the love and grace that you guys showed each other uh, through that time. You put beliefs that you guys had about what was going on and desires that you had. You had set them aside um, and did what was best for everyone. Uh, we saw that here in the, in the church service, and we saw that in the uh, missional communities that we're in. And I just want to say that we're very grateful for you guys. Um, and that uh, this is really showing the love that uh, Peter is talking about here in this passage. In the back of First Peter, we see this love that we have for each other flow into serving in verses 9 and 10. The serving is just a natural result of love. If we love each other, we'll look at ways that we can help each other out and serve each other's needs. So step three in, in Peter's plan 
is to glorify God. See, when we exercise our spiritual gifts, we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it builds up the church, but also brings glory to God. This is the ultimate goal of what we looked at this morning. When we die to sin and live to righteousness, we're becoming like the one who created us. When we interact with believers and unbelievers, as he commands us to, we are showing others who God is and what he represents. So we're going to just boil down the the Christian manifesto and the, the main idea that we talked about today. It basically comes down to this. We're to be God's image bearers, the way he created us to be, and that will bring glory to him as we live that out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for being your son. I thank you, Lord, for our church that you've given us, Lord, this community. And I just pray that you will help us continue to grow in love, help us to be a witness to you or for you in our community, Lord, and just share the love uh, that you have given to us and the grace that we will share it out with others in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.